So this week we're talking about pillar three, which is emotional wellness. Um, the first week, pillar one was about physical, which involved exercise, sleep and nutrition, all very tangible. Uh, last week we talked about mental wellness, intellectual wellness, a little more abstract. And the same with emotional wellness, it's something that's very internalized. So it's, it's harder to sort of understand and wrap your arms around. I know through doing the podcast, we get to do a lot of research and take a deep dive into these subjects, which kind of expands our knowledge and we find little nuggets and pieces of information that can help us along the way. And one of those was sort of understanding the difference between emotions and feelings. And it's interesting because often they're used interchangeably, but there are a bit like well wellness and well-being there are a couple of fundamental differences yeah so the difference as i understand it is that emotions are more brief and immediate and they're often linked to a specific event where feelings are more conscious and they're something that develops over time and it's worth thinking goes into it as well so it's not just an immediate reaction to a situation it's just something that we develop over time that's more of a feeling so feelings are a little bit sort of long lasting rather than an immediate response in the moment to to something yeah yeah that's exactly what that's exactly how i understand it and i feel like that's a really good way of understanding that too because when we talk about emotions and we'll go into that a little bit more in depth is often we're talking about kind of being in control of our emotions and not reacting to immediate emotions which makes a lot of sense if it's something that just triggered us or happened because of a certain event in the moment, where a feeling is something that's probably something that is built up over time and has a little bit more substance to it as well. Yeah. Do you want to, um, we, we pulled out some research here, and I think like last week and when we're touching on subjects which are pretty complex, we want to make sure that we convey the right level of information and research out to the audience. So... Some of these elements we're going to kind of read because I think it's important for us to get them right. Um, so emotional wellness. Yeah, so emotional wellness um, really is seen as a dimension of well-being. It focuses on understanding, managing and nurturing our emotions in a healthy and balanced way. So if we break that down a little bit, um, it's connected to well-being rather than wellness. Well-being was that more abstract approach out of the two. It was a little bit more, we discussed before, your your relationships, your perception of the world, your do you have a compelling future? How are you seen in society? So it, it, it starts to tie into that a little bit more than wellness, which was more the kind of active pursuit of elements that help you live more of a, a wellness lifestyle more around the food nutrition exercise etc um, it says here it involves recognizing and expressing our emotions coping effectively with stress and building positive relationships with yourself and others pretty succinct and then i know we're gonna speak us about uh, we've got a few core components we wanted to discuss and these aren't, I don't think they're listed in any particular order, but um, they're all pretty powerful and impactful. 
So the first one is emotional awareness. I'm just going to read this out. Emotional awareness starts with self-awareness. It involves recognizing and understanding your own emotions, including their causes, triggers, and patterns. This self-awareness enables you to better manage your emotional responses. So that's going back to what you said in the introduction. That sounds to me like it's an emotional response in the time that's something that maybe triggers you. That's, you know, whether it's road rage or you know, uh, an argument with your spouse, a, a child playing up. And it's interesting, I've just rattled those three off as kind of negative. I think part of me, I always think about an emotional response typically being negative, but of course they're not. They're, there's very positive emotions too. I mean, when you were saying about emotional awareness, I think with anything self-awareness of anything whatever part that is if it's an emotion a habit self it really starts with self-awareness because when you're self-aware about something that's when you can then either decide this is good for me something positive or it's something slightly negative that maybe you want to work on and make a change uh, but without self-awareness in any category it's really hard to really develop on something or make something as a good use so the self-awareness is really important. I think especially when it comes to emotions. That leads me a little bit into the next point. Hold on, I just want to touch on that. So yeah. the triggers and the patterns there are the two key parts of that because recognizing things that always trigger you, um, and again, I'm thinking more negatively, I think is really helpful to to understand and and find a way to, yes, when that triggering moment is coming to find a kind of coping mechanism to step away from it and kind of pause for a second before that that reaction takes place and that ties into patterns and pattern recognition and I know when we did coaching last year we learned a lot about patterns uh, both our own patterns and patterns of other people and recognizing patterns and then being able to utilize them for good is is really key to that um for me, I think of things that I'm trying to think things that have kind of triggered me emotionally in a negative sense. I can tie back to anxiety, which I've spoken about before and things that would kind of spiral. And it's that negative emotion that, you know, you have to, I think of it as a, a spiral of water going down a plug hole. If you can put that stopper in the sink and stop that negative thought spiraling out of control that's one way to quickly you know cope with that anxious feeling and there's different ways of of dealing with that one i mentioned last week was um very much going into a thought process of gratitude our minds or brains can't think of two things at once so if you're thinking of something that's causing you anxiety if you immediately think of something that is uh, that you're grateful for um, it can stop that pattern. It takes a bit of practice, but there are all of these little coping mechanisms available to us. And then going back to the topic of this number one, emotional awareness, you've got to be aware of it, though, in order to find a way to be able to influence yourself um, is having that self-awareness. Yeah, you touched a little bit on the kind of second point, which is around emotional regulation it's really the ability to regulate your emotions effectively, being able to manage and express your feelings in appropriate ways, avoiding emotional extremes and impulse reactions. And what you were explaining is from the self-awareness to recognizing that pattern is then you're able to react and say, hold on, 
I might be overreacting in, at this moment or it might be something that triggered me of a it's a past experience and it might not have anything to do with this person or that situation at this point it's just something that reminds me of something that has more of a negative connotation and then it's really the the balance of being aware and then using mindfulness using either breathing and the awareness to kind of stop yourself in the tracks and not react because like we were saying earlier an emotion is really a reaction to a situation and we know that any impulse reaction often can be something that we regret later and it's just something that's in the moment and once you've kind of took a deep breath and a thought you might just feel a little bit different about the situation so this emotional regulation after the self-awareness is really important one note that comes for me with that as well that even though when you regulate your emotions i don't think it necessarily means swallowing your emotions or neglecting them and pushing them away because we know that that ultimately doesn't is not very healthy and doesn't lead to any good outcome Often it's that just in the moment you pause for a second and just pause that emotion and then you kind of reflect on later, why did it trigger you? If that emotion still arises later when you're more kind of by yourself, it's like really letting that emotion come through and let it fully go through your body. And then when you don't try to resist it, it kind of leaves the body as well. So I think that's a really important point too, to understand we don't just want to stop it and swallow it and not deal with it because that's ultimately is going to keep coming up yeah sometimes it i think i've been I've, oh i've swallowed um i've swallowed emotions before and held them inside and that causes internal stress which isn't healthy which probably comes down to me of not you know not wanting to get into conflict or having difficult conversations but you're gonna do you're gonna be doing yourself a good service if you have that difficult conversation it may be difficult in the time but if you approach it with the right intention of trying to make a relationship or a situation better um, and not based on ego and trying to win say an argument then ultimately difficult in the time but you're gonna you've done something positive hopefully both for yourself and the person that you're speaking with and maybe it's inside an organization or it's to do with a project they're both gonna benefit from that I think we're both pretty emotionally stable. We're not people that fly off the handle or have big moments of rage or shouting matches with anybody, including each other. We've never been though that type of relationship. Part of that is we've never been in competition with each other. People always ask us, how on earth do we work together as husband and wife? And that's been our key, is that we've never been in competition with each other. And that... I think allows us to keep our emotions in check and ultimately be very supportive. Those first two, emotional awareness and emotional regulation, when I think about emotional awareness of other people, I see when people do fly off the handle or seem irate or aggressive or unreasonable, I tend not to take it personally. I tend to let the situation play out and... I guess, which we'll get onto later, a bit of compassion or is understanding that it's not always the face value of the situation that they're reacting to. Maybe it's something going on in their personal life or something's triggered them or they're insecure or they're going through a really rough time with their family. Who knows what it may be? So I think having that awareness and understanding that maybe that person can't regulate their emotions and it really isn't personal to 
to me or the situation i i tend to i don't let it go in as in just let somebody get away with it but at the same time i don't attach myself to the situation as much so um that's something i've learned and has really helped me in in my i guess emotional state Number three, stress management. Coping with stress in healthy ways is a central aspect of emotional wellness. This involves using stress reduction techniques such as relaxation, mindfulness, deep breathing, and time management to alleviate stresses. For me, stress stress used to be, I've used it as a tool. I felt like if I was working hard, rushing around, my plate was so full that I didn't know which way to turn, that gave me this sense of energy and I felt that that meant to me that I was succeeding. I was moving forward. The more I could pile on, the more I could seemingly kind of achieve. But I've, you know, realized now as I digested a lot of this that it, it really isn't. It's counterproductive. I think there's times where stress can push us and help us a little bit. But if it's continues, continues stress, it becomes very detrimental to uh, our physical and mental health. I mean, the tricky thing with stress is when we're going back to the emotions versus the feeling, when we're in a stress state, we usually tend to just react without kind of thinking about the situation and it's just an impulse. And I think when we're stressed, we're lending our, lends ourselves way more to that reactive, um, which we were saying earlier, we often can regret like that impulse moment. So. Going back to, we were talking a lot about last week, like mindfulness, meditation. When you build in those practices on a day-to-day basis, you generally tend to equal out the stress a little more, work with the stress levels that they don't go to that extreme, that you then are just so exhausted that all you can do is just react. It's just an impulse that comes out because you're just super stressed. So kind of keeping the stress levels in check really helps with the emotional state because you're not going into this impulse reaction. Yeah, absolutely right. And prior to me learning more mindful techniques and meditation and deep sleep non-rest, alcohol was my easy way of dealing with stress. I typically not every day, but at the end of the week, it was like, okay, end of the week, reward myself with alcohol. As I've now worked more on other uh, modalities such as, you know, breathing techniques or meditation or going on a Friday to a sound bowl rather than down to the restaurant or the bar, it really does help regulate your emotions and it, it kind of provides that clarity. And I found it extremely helpful to, you know, to, to have that inward kind of journey, I guess, which you've been speaking about lately. There's so many external factors, but having that self-awareness, that internal regulation that internal dialogue with yourself in a positive way has been very helpful to me so the next one we're looking at after the stress management is resilience which is a really interesting topic as well so here it says emotional wellness fosters resilience uh, which is the ability to bounce back from adversity and adapt to life challenges and we all face life challenges they're not unavoidable and they're also part of life uh, resilience involves developing coping strategies and a positive outlook even in the face of difficulties. So resilience, resilience is really good because I feel like we need to build resilience because if we don't have the resilience, if any little thing knocks us off, it's just really, you don't get stronger. 
Um, and I think resilience like, really builds your strength to, to cope with anything that comes your way. Because like we were saying, life happens. There's always a yin and yang in energies. There's like you're on a really good fly and there's really good things happening in your life. But then there's got to be that counterbalance where sometimes things are a little bit harder and you struggle a little bit more. But not giving up in those times, that's really what builds resilience. And when you can go back to that resilience and that feeling, that strengthens your emotions. And I feel like it's a, that's why it's a really big part for emotional wellness. Yeah, it, it's key. I found myself talking about myself uh, being very... I found ways to be very resilient. And I, I guess in the human nature, it's kind of built in because it's like do or die, you know, survival of the fittest. It's you just, there's an inbuilt mechanism within us as a human to be resilient to a degree. I think it gets muddied when you can't control your regulate your emotions or you don't understand them or those triggers derail you. I know Tony Robbins talks about, you know, life happening for you, not to you. And that's a really good example of when you're a bit can be a bit in the kind of victim syndrome, thinking that everything's just happening to you. And no matter what the situation is, because we're all going to face some sort of adversity in our lives, whether it's, you know, loss of a loved one, um, some sort of illness, a job issue, you know, an injury, who knows what it may be, finding ways to be resilient and knowing that nothing ever lasts forever, that pain will pass a situation will pass nothing is forever is a that's probably the simplest way to deal with when i think about needing to be resilient knowing that this is a moment in time and it will pass everything passes a storm passes so it's key when i think of things that have happened in my life so lost my father when i was nine um, moving to America has been a, an up and down roller coaster establishing business here with lots of backs and forth um, you know, having all those surgeries to save my eyesight, starting new companies. There's so much where you could look at it and just go, well, I could have capitulated or use that as an excuse not to move forward. But resilience pushes me. It drives me. It makes me, it wants, it makes me want to prove to myself and to the outside world that despite those negative situations in my life that I found ways to overcome them and I actually now use them as fuel and motivation moving forward. Is there anything in that you can think that you've needed to be particularly resilient around? I mean, anything when you think about uh, building a business or being in business, I think you mentioned earlier of not taking things personally. I think there's definitely a resilience on a lot of no's coming your way before there's the one yes. That's kind of one thing I can think of immediately. It's just really building that resilience of thinking um, you don't have the support or you're not on the right track and just really kind of sticking to your inner, inner direction um, and building. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking of the top of my head yeah. in terms of resilience. Yeah, to just keep sticking with it. Yeah, perseverance. Yeah, dealing with adversity. And that, that goes back to having the skill sets, doesn't it? It's understanding, regulating, having the self-awareness. So these, when we talked about in the previous weeks about things stacking, a lot of these modalities kind of stack on top of each other. Next one is self-compassion. Treating yourself with kindness and self-compassion is essential for emotional well-being. It means not being overly critical of yourself from practicing self-acceptance. 
I think this is a tough one for a lot of people. Um, I know it's been tough for me. Um, my internal desire to push and achieve sometimes has meant that you're not very self-compassionate, don't necessarily take the time to stop and pause and one, be grateful for everything around you and two, kind of pat yourself on the back for what you've achieved in life to this day. You've got to where you are um, through hook or by crook or hard work or whatever life throws at you. So just having a bit of self-compassion, especially when things seemingly might not be going your way, I think is extremely important. It's a, it's a really, it's a real, really big key one to, to take that moment of pause and, and understand and give yourself com self, self-compassion. Yeah, self-compassion is really crucial. And for me, my experience is with it is there is a fine line with me between discipline and self-compassion. For me, I'm generally a very disciplined personality. It's just really finding where I understand, no, actually today is just not a good day to push or it's just not healthy to do it. And then understand it's not because I'm not disciplined or because I'm lazy or unfocused and looking this kind of negative side of it, just really understanding my body is totally giving me the signals. And when I tested that out and was self-compassionate, I really could tell that I could be even more disciplined the next time I was doing that same thing or something else. And I think finding that balance, for me, it's the balance between discipline and self-compassion. And then the other point of that is when you have self-compassion, you can develop compassion for others. And I think compassion for others, and again, we think that comes further down the line in terms of empathy, is understanding others, understanding other situations and being compassionate for other people and seeing things from their perspective is as important as self-compassion. That's, I, know, that's, I mean, that is a really valid point. And I've learned from you ways to be, you know, more self-compassionate and take a step aside and look, pause, whatever it may be. I think a lot of it comes from, we're in a world now where we compare ourselves to others so much. So if we see somebody on social media seemingly achieving something extraordinary, whether it's a financial, business, fitness goal, we immediately can compare ourselves to them. But sometimes we don't stop to think about how our life and situation is different from theirs. Typically in social media, everything's got the gloss all around it. It's not necessarily true. We don't really know the the background of their life or their goals. And so having self-compassion, understanding that just because we can't match or meet that person's you know, lifestyle or whatever it may be, or business or financial goal, doesn't mean in any way we're not doing well. It's just a completely different set of circumstances. We're all individual. Therefore, we have to take an individual approach to it and achieve whatever we can within the framework of our life. And if there's something you really don't like or could do better, then yeah, that's where with self-compassion, you have to make a, a change. And sometimes it needs a dramatic change. Yeah, that's a good note about thinking about self-compassion in terms of comparison. Because I think like you were saying, comparison is a really, it's very well spread, well known, but it's, it's a really unhealthy um, way of looking at your life because we're all so different. We come from so many different backgrounds, abilities. So we are also so unique in the, in the positive way. We're really unique. So comparing is you never compare apples for apples because everyone is so unique. 
So having that self-compassion of saying, really saying, okay, where am I at? What have I achieved? And where is time for me to push a little bit more? Where is time for me to, to step back and, and rest and rejuvenate as well? So that's that note is really important. Yep. So going to the next one talks about healthy relationships in context of emotional wellness. So building and maintaining healthy, supportive, and emotionally fulfilling relationships is a crucial component of emotional wellness. This includes effective communication, empathy, and conflict resolution skills. Yeah, relationships is a big subject. Um, I've talked in previous episodes how friendships to me were everything. Being part of a community or a club for me it was through sports clubs or fitness clubs. And yeah, maintaining, being supported by, getting energy from, contributing to those relationships was everything to me. I would do anything for my my friends in those situations, I would do anything for that community or especially in the sports clubs or those arenas that I really wanted to be part of it and contribute. And it was something that I've held very strongly. It's changed a bit since we moved to America. I know through our CrossFit gym that we originally joined, we built great friendships and a community there. And then main, you know, maintaining Friendships beyond that demise has been great, but it's different here. We, you know, we are living in a world of lots of people. We live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Lots of people have moved to the valley. They're not. There's not necessarily a, a huge embed of community that have been here long term historically. So, finding like-minded people and people that align with your values and uh, passions and yeah. The, you know that yeah you can just form solid relationships with it's difficult at times and we've we've worked hard at it and we're we're very grateful to have you know a great group of friends around us personal sorry personal relationships obviously i think i can happily say we're each other's rocks in our relationship go back to before that it's very healthy we don't argue we're not in competition with each other and i i feel very fortunate that we have that deep connection that allows us also to do a lot together we get to share that experience on a daily basis through our business and now this platform as well i mean you touched on a good point there which is healthy relationships because obviously there are relationships there's relationships between partners there's relationships amongst family members relationship with friends and when i think about healthy relationship one thing that comes to my mind is that we can sometimes out of fear of being alone or lonely, maybe co compromise a little bit on the relationship we're in with friends or a partner. And just because of that fear of being alone, we might be with someone that is not really a healthy relationship or it's just something that doesn't make us grow or wants us to become bigger and better versions of ourselves. It's like a non-supportive relationship. I think that's really important too because loneliness can sometimes make you choose a relationship that might not be really healthy. So I think in the context of emotional wellness, it's just really making sure that the relations you have are healthy and supportive. And it's a, it's a two way street where you're giving, but you're also getting back. And it's like kind of this nice cycle of exchanging um, kind of emotions and feelings in that relationship and that relationship really to grow and nurture you. Yeah, we often hear that people get stuck in unhealthy relationships because 
although it's they know it's bad for them and negative it's what they know and getting trapped in that cycle i can only imagine is is horrendous and it's the kind of better the devil you know than the devil you don't is is how it kind of boils down and i feel I feel very sad when I think of people that are either stuck in a, um, you know, a relationship that's violent or somebody stuck in, you know, a, a friendship relationship that is toxic. It, it, it's very sad to think that, you know, just the other side of that is a whole better life. And whilst the unknown is scary and we need to push ourselves to do scary things, it's, it's so important to break out of unhealthy relationships and, and find find that new positive world on the other side and talking of positive positive self-esteem um, developing and maintaining a positive self-esteem and self-image is vital for emotional wellness it involves valuing yourself and your abilities it's funny i i had a lot of period in my childhood where i didn't value myself as much as my peer group i would put myself second a lot and I'm not really sure where that came from I think a lot of it was just wanting to be friends and fitting in so that definitely affected my uh, you know value of myself and also questioned my abilities so I was always very fearful of doing things wrong or being humiliated so I think I wouldn't push my abilities I talked about it before in the sporting arena at most sports I played, I played to a pretty decent level and had a decent natural ability. But to get to the next level of a lot of my peers, that would have required me to be vulnerable to a degree, push outside my comfort zone, um, maybe make mistakes, fail in some areas. And I couldn't push myself to do that. It was about maintaining the status quo, even in professional life as well. Um didn't always trust my design abilities in the architectural field. You know, sometimes silly things like just because you couldn't sketch as well as your peer who could draw these photorealistic sketches. It was a silly way to measure myself. I talked about measuring yourself, comparing the other day, but we've all got different skill sets. And when we speak specifically about architecture, architecture is so much about a philosophy and approach as well. So one person's approach irrelevant of their skill set to be able to draw or sketch is, is irrelevant to a degree because it's all about the intention and uh, the purpose of what you're you're putting together in the physical space. I want to touch back on what you were saying earlier about positive, uh, positive self-image in context of um, emotional wellness. So the positive self-image, the challenge I can see and going back to what we talk about almost in every episode, the influence of social media and comparison, it's really what I find is when you start comparing yourself to others, it's hard to really find that positive self-image. There's always something that might not be perfect on you uh, when you see it in someone else. So I think going back to the kind of mindfulness and meditation and just the awareness on the of turning on the inside like really looking from the inside out and understanding your inner beauty your inner strength and just more focusing on the inside than the outside i think that's definitely a technique that you can nurture that leads a little bit more a positive self-esteem when you start comparing not stop comparing the outside 
Because yeah. I think on the outside is there's always something, there's always a little flaw we can find. It's always like we're not really, and then when we do look perfect, it doesn't, it's not perfect either because it feels unnatural. So there's not really a, a perfect way. Um, but really, the, and the strength on the inside, when I'm talking about turning on the inside and developing the self esteem on the inside, is really that inner strength and finding your inner beauty and connecting with yourself. Because when you are connected with that, you make the right decisions, you know your intuition is working. And that's when you're really achieving things as well. So I think the, the internal, the look on the internal, and that's really for me something that leads to good self esteem and a positive self image. Yeah, for it's got to start from the inside, and then it it kind of shows itself on the outside, doesn't it? And in an authentic way that isn't trying to be something you're not. I think us all having the courage and confidence just to stand up and be who we are. You know, positive and negative. It's just you know we're individual and we all have different skill sets and journeys that we're on, and just yeah, just holding ourselves in that confident space and. Letting the world take us at face value, I think, is really important. I mean, thinking one step further with that as well, we hear so much about self-love and cultivating self-love. And I feel like that's a big topic that a lot of people struggle with as well. It's in a similar note like self-esteem and a positive self-image. But it really is like when you can't love yourself, it's very hard to love someone else truly from the heart unconditionally. So it's, again, it's really important to practice that self-love and really connecting with the good parts of yourself. you got to understand the shadow sides too and appreciate them as well because I feel like the positive and the negatives in us make who we are and they navigate us through life. So it's not just saying, because I've got a negative trait, I can't love myself. I think that's really important too. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a big topic, self-love. Self-love, I love it. <laughs> okay, next next on the agenda which we touched on earlier a little bit is empathy so understanding and emphasizing with the emotions of others is a key aspect of emotional wellness it fosters meaningful and supportive interpersonal connections so for me empathy is really important i feel like there is so much like there's so much judgment we can give to people there's so much emotional reaction when we react to a situation to a person to their behavior and when we put ourselves into their shoes, understand a little bit, and often we judge someone or don't have empathy for someone that we don't even know. And if we don't know something about a person, about their situations, about what might have happened on their day, why they're behaving a certain way, without the empathy, I've, I think you can go in a lot of the spiral of judgment, which, which is a really hard thing not to do, but being conscious about it and navigating it, I think is really important. It's very important for our own emotional wellness because when we're more empathetic to people it's definitely a better feeling than being judgmental and just giving people that um, benefit of doubt and just understanding them and, and being yeah empathetic yeah really taking the time to understand somebody else's point of view even if it's different from your own um, the situation they may be in I think is a skill set that partly you're kind of born with and Partly you can nurture and learn and, and get better at. I know in our world of design, and we'll talk about that in the next section, is it's really important to have empathy for every person that's going to interact with the space that we create. One thing I wanted to mention, empathy is very positive. You can 
you can you can understand it at the same level as somebody else where they're coming from whether it's a viewpoint an idea um a situation sympathy sympathy's not particularly helpful in my world you're just almost just kind of pitying somebody and i think nurturing a skill of empathy has way more benefits and can really yeah nurture and foster deep deep relationships i think that's a really good point you brought up the kind of difference between sympathy and empathy one other thing that sprang to my mind is that sometimes empathy is again a little fine balance if you're an empath i think that's what it's called empath and you are so have so much empathy for other people is to to not get down to their emotions or caught in their emotions that you rather bringing yourself down and therefore can't help them up and up their vibrations i think that's really important too it's like really understanding with the empathy to it needs to be a positive um, constructive empathy and not getting so involved into the negative and feeling bad for the other person or feeding have adapting other people's negative feelings i think that's really important to to understand that yeah i couldn't agree more okay number nine our final one in this chapter is mindfulness practicing mindfulness involves staying present in the moment and observing your thoughts and feelings without judgment mindfulness techniques can help you manage stress and regulate emotions mindfulness for me has been something that i've established a reasonable i guess skill set i can say skill set or the ability to get in a state of deep relaxation but i'm certainly could be more consistent with it and i know over the last few weeks and months we've been trying to be very consistent with practicing meditation both morning and night and it has a difference and it what i've noticed it doesn't have to be for very long it's just a moment of pause to stop the brain activity um, in the outside world and and, and internalize and I know that's something you've been saying to me a lot lately and you've really been understanding the benefits of going inward and cutting out all the external noise that happens in our lives. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret. I'm a huge fan of meditation and mindfulness, like I expressed in the last uh, episode. What I really like about practicing mindfulness on a daily basis on a regular basis is that you really see the benefits when you're out in a situation in life that is not where it's not particularly mindful around you were under a stress or a situation happens and i really noticed that my emotions my immediate reactions to a situation that usually could trigger me is way more in check through the mindfulness practices that are happening at home I feel like there is a certain, just a certain level of groundedness that you carry, a certain levelness of calm, and there's a certain levelness of awareness. And we're going back to the beginning, it's like this emotional awareness. So mindfulness really gives you this, this awareness around your emotions, and it stabilizes it. And that's what I just really like about it. Other than being in the moment when you practice it, it feels good, and it feels good to connect with yourself and your real self, your true self, your inner self. But then when you go about your day is that's really when the practice pays off and especially when it comes to emotions yeah and i i feel that mindfulness doesn't necessarily have to be where you're really taking that dedicated moment of 
pause or practice it needs to be having mindfulness sometimes in the the moment of something that may trigger an emotion and just staying present for now and not reacting or projecting what this could be or could mean in typically in a negative sense so and i think you said like you said you that skill set comes from the practice that you do specifically say around meditation then gives you the skill set to deal with things in the moment in the you know in the live real world scenarios yeah because we would talk about meditation but mindfulness can also be sitting down and writing things out like journaling and understanding yourself and i was mentioning earlier is really understanding the positive and the negative traits of your personality and yourself and really when you understand that you can accept it you can choose not to go down a certain path as well so i think mindfulness is just really like the word says being mindful of yourself of your others and just making sure that whatever it is is some something in life sometimes it could even be going for a walk it could be playing a certain sports it's just a moment where you feel like you can really connect with yourself with your thoughts understand yourself and it's just something that you're not just part of the speedy pace of life i think that's really mindfulness it can come in so many forms yeah being present and in the moment yeah so those nine um kind of topics that we just spoke about are all very interlinked I really feel that they are something that we can work on, practice, observe, and use as really amazing tools to have a more rounded life, better relationships, better you know view of the world, view of ourselves, and, and can build on them. So a bit like working out in the gym, I really think there's a lot of exercises um, that, you know, that the internet is scattered with them that each of those topics can be you know constructed and practiced to to really help us have a better life so when we think about all of those a lot of it wraps up for us and we wasn't listed in there but emotional intelligence which again i don't know if it's something you're born with or if it's a skill set that we can learn but it, it it's it's really important to us, I know, and it's really important to us in our work, having emotional intelligence. Do you want to touch on and feel free to read that paragraph? Because I think it really, it's really succinct. And just on that note, we'll copy all of these notes into our kind of show notes so that people can go back and look at those topics and take, take a deeper delve into anything that really interests them. Yeah. I mean, emotional intelligence, I feel is, is a big word and I feel like it's something that recently is coming up more and more. So kind of a definition um, around that is that it refers to the ability to recognize, understand, manage and effectively use one's own emotions, as well as the ability to perceive, interpret and respond to the emotions of others. It involves a combination of skill, including self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, motivation and social skills and individuals with high emotional intelligence can navigate social complexities build strong relationships and make more informed decisions contributing to personal and professional success so it really that sentence about emotional intelligence really sums up 
kind of those nine aspects that we were talking about from the emotional awareness, the regulation, stress management, resilience, self-compassion, healthy relationships, positive self-esteem, empathy, and mindfulness. So it's really kind of understanding and mastering those components that leads to a better emotional intelligence. I think that was a perfect summary, and it really does capture those nine topics that we just spoke about. When I think about my own emotional intelligence, and it seems kind of strange to say that sentence, um, but I feel like I do have a deep level of emotional intelligence, and I don't know where it comes well I think I do know where it comes from now having done a sort of bit of research and been reading different articles and I believe for me it came from that childhood trauma of losing my dad when I was nine years old he sadly took his own life and at that age I was nine you certainly don't really understand all the whys and what's around it on the negative side I think it made me very anxious. It made me scared of negative or catastrophic or bad things happening in the future. It made me wary of relationships and understanding that when conflict happens in a relationship, it can result in something very bad. And in this case, somebody losing their life. And so I think I built this internal mechanism to try and control situations or relationships by trying to understand or read people and so therefore I was always trying to predict the temperature of the room or somebody's mood or how somebody felt about me or towards me by really trying to observe and read so I became I think I was a very observant child I would sit and observe I wouldn't be you know, at the forefront, I would certainly wouldn't jump into any situation until I'd kind of read it and understand that I could succeed in that situation and not fall flat on my face. So I think through that trauma for me, it allowed me to get a pretty deep understanding and skill set of how to read people, read situations. And that has really transposed well into my career now as an architect because having that emotional intelligence really helps form decisions and ideas in design, which we can touch on in a minute. So whether I'm right or wrong about the the sort of formation of emotional intelligence for myself, I'm generally happy that I have that skill set in my my armory. Like you were touching on it really helping you and us in our professional life. It's really the kind of emphasizing a relation to clients that we work with, to our team, and then also anticipating guests' emotions in the space. I think that's really where that comes in. And that's why I feel like emotional intelligence really helps us as designers because we got to really understand so many, it's so many different cultures that come through the space, so many different age groups, genders. So it's just really having the broad understanding of how people feel in a space from every walk of life and every experience you just come from. You come from a good travel experience, a bad travel experience. You've been in that place before you haven't. And it's just reading, trying to read, anticipate those emotions and then see how the space can cater for it as well. 
That's right. And just for those that don't know, we architects and designers in the world of hospitality. So when Anissa mentioned guests, yeah, we're typically talking a hotel or restaurant guest. I think on the converse side of that too, it's anticipating and understanding the needs of the staff that are delivering that experience to the guest. So almost I do it, kind of close your eyes and put yourselves in their shoes as you're navigating around the building, thinking about the tasks they may be doing, whether it's housekeeping, room service, um, engineering, you know, somebody in the food and beverage, the general manager, is how can we design the space that allows them to deliver the best form of hospitality to the guests? And you mentioned anticipation. Anticipation of the guest needs is critical in hospitality because being able to anticipate somebody's needs and deliver whatever that may be to them before they even ask for it is a true sign of hospitality. So if we can facilitate through our designs and enable them to do that even better, then the whole um, function of this place, the building, the the uh, space is going to work so much better. And it's just positive, positive staff, I mean, positive guests, which mean pos positive reviews. And it's just a, a cycle of positive energy that goes into these hospitality experiences. Um, we talk about, there's often, and it's kind of almost become cliche now in the hospitality world about creating memorable experiences. And we've written it before on our website and I've seen it on hundreds of other websites. And I'm, it kind of got me thinking recently, what does that actually mean, creating memorable experiences? And I don't know that I've come to a conclusion other than I think the essence is that we want people to visit this property, whether it's a restaurant, hotel, resort, retreat, and have a connection with it that lasts long in their memory, guess to the point that you'd want to go back there and visit or repeat it again. And this ties nicely into memory and emotions because um, memories are created through emotion so when I think about creating emotions how do we create emotions in design or in the spaces and there's a couple that are kind of more abstract and there's some that is slightly more more obvious so when I think of the biggest one it's smell so smell is heavily connected to memory so if you can create a scent for your building or your hotel, people are going to subconsciously have that built into their uh, memory bank and always going to associate that smell with that property. So especially if they've had a good experience there, those two are going to be intrinsically linked, which I think is fascinating. Um, we can think about energies we've spoken about before. So... Um, through sacred geometry or feng shui, we can lay out buildings that have a inner energy that matches the purpose of the space, that just has a feeling that you can't rationalize, you can't know where it's coming from, but it all just has these layers of subconscious, you know, emotion, which then leads to memory, which I think is fascinating. We can add an element of surprise, a statement 
design element, some humor, some friction at times. There's all these different ways that you can stand out from the crowd, which create an emotion that's tied to a memory. So it's fascinating when you take a deep dive into it and think about, okay, if we're talking about creating memorable experiences, let's cut through all the words and think about how we can really cement that into a space. So how do we create experiences that evoke an emotion yep. for the guest? Because that ultimately leads to remembering that experience. And some of it is, like I said, some of it's design elements. Um, some of it's sensory. So we think of music, smell, the lighting. And then the probably the one that with the biggest impact, and certainly it can be positive or negative, is what was the guest experience as delivered by the staff. So if we as designers can make sure that we create a space that is as efficient and allows them to deliver the best guest experience, that is going to be the one that probably has one of the biggest impacts on the emotion, hopefully positive, and therefore the memory. What else are you saying? That goes back to really looking at the emotions of the people that are delivering the service to the staff, thinking about the the back of house. What do you offer your employees to feel really good in the space, to feel they're not just sitting in a secondary space or room, is to deliver that same, like you say, positive experience, that same connecting with the brand and the message you're delivering. Because that personality talking about emotions they're going to be in a certain emotional state through the space that then gets directly connected to the guest yeah i think fortunately we're at an era now where thinking of the staff as second-class citizens in these hotels for example i think that is very quickly weaning its way out of the industry and the major brands tend to have initiatives now hilton have heart of house and we know through designing hilton projects they're their standards are pretty rigorous for what you need to supply for the staff, which is absolutely right. And it's it's such a simple equation in my mind that happy, healthy, positive staff are going to directly influence the guest experience, which is only going to benefit your business. So it's an absolute no-brainer for me. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And... The pandemic, I think, has also helped for that with so much, so many of the hospitality industry back of house staff taking on other jobs, disappearing. You've got to have a competitive advantage now. So what you have offer your staff, as in many different industries, is so important. So showing that you genuinely care, um, have empathy for them, going back to the emotions, is, is critical to the success. When I think about, I just wanted to touch on um, sort of a, a creating emotion, and I mentioned friction earlier. So we had a client, uh, Terry Ellisor, who was a restaurateur here in Phoenix and Scottsdale. And he was a really interesting character. Sadly, he died a couple of years ago. But he developed a couple of restaurant concepts here in the Valley. Uh, one was Zinc Bistro, and then he did uh, The Mission, uh, and then the second mission, which we designed for him and his partners. And I remember him talking to us on a couple of occasions about how he viewed hospitality. And what was really interesting was that um, he studied at the um, 
he studied at a school of theatre and acting in New York, Juilliard School. And his his roommates, which was pretty amazing, were Christopher Reeve and Robin Williams. So he has some amazing stories around those people. But what enabled him to do, coming from that world of acting and putting on a show, he knew how to infuse that into the restaurants that he created. And one thing he would say to his staff every night before service was, well, it's showtime. Curtains are up, it's showtime. So he connected the emotion of that performance every night that he would give on stage to how his staff would do the same performance every night for a new set of guests in his restaurants. And I thought that was a fascinating way of approaching it. One of the other things he did too was that when he designed Zinc Bistro, there was a patio space and everybody advised him to put large folding doors out to the patio to connect the inside and outside. And when we think about energies, he was adamant that he didn't want that to happen. He wanted to keep the two energies separate because he didn't want the energy of the interior of the restaurant to evaporate to the outside. And people questioned him on, well, how are the staff going to get the food out? And he said, well, through the front door. And they challenged him, well, that's where the guests are coming in. And he, he saw it not as a, he saw it was going to be a conflict, but he, for him, that conflict caused friction and it caused energy. And it was just a fascinating way to think about, you know, a different approach, a different viewpoint, a different mindset. And getting deep into thinking about that rather than just how something functions perfectly on a piece of paper and getting down into the, you know, that for me is real emotional intelligence. It's understanding that something may cause some friction, but it's also going to cause energy. And it truly worked. I mean, that restaurant's been there for 22 years now. Um, it's a great space. It's beloved in the local area. And, um, you know, testament to his, you know, slightly different viewpoint and approach to being a restaurateur. I mean, that's a nice example how you were saying how emotional intelligence applies different to different spaces and users. Like we're saying, if it's about a social space, a restaurant, you do want to create different emotions and therefore create different memories for people than when you're going to a specific wellness retreat. I mean, it's very different kind of energies you're dealing with and different emotions you want to evoke. Um, so that's, I think that's really good to remember and use emotional intelligence for as well. Yeah, and sometimes that means changing the status quo, doesn't it? Just not, you know, just not repeating what's done before, thinking of a different approach. That's how a brand or an offering can stand out. And we've just come back from the Global Wellness Summit. It was our first one, very emotional experience, one that's going to live long in our memories. And just talking about changing the status quo, Timberland, the, you know, the record producer and kind of global superstar was giving a talk with uh, Freddie from Mindstream who were a you know a music platform and what was fascinating was that they've now done a partnership with Timberland who made music and produced for Missy Elliott and Justin Timberlake amongst hundreds of others is now developing music concepts for inside spas and you would never think to align those two you know, those people or, or places and spaces together. So there's there's such a shift now in this world. It's, it's truly remarkable. So thinking outside the box, delivering different experiences in different ways is, I think the, the world is everybody's oyster. 
So we've wrapped up a lot there. It's another big subject. Um, you can go on and on and on. It's one of those that there's no end goal for me. Learning to deal with emotions, understanding other people's emotions is a continual learning curve. We go back to infinite and finite games. Well, this is definitely finite. There's no end game. There's no rules. There's no winning. It's just constantly learning and seeing how we can each improve all of those elements of our emotional health for, you know, become better versions of ourselves, which is ultimately the goal. Yeah, looking at the or having dived a little bit more into the emotional awareness just really makes me understand now how important it is as part of wellness and well-being. This is why it's really one of the dimensions because it can it affects your life in so many ways. To understand, like you're saying, understanding emotions, emotions of others, dealing with emotions, react not reacting to it, um, understanding that an emotion is more of a short term versus a feeling is a longer, more conscious. Uh, emotional state that's often connected to thinking as well and is separating those two um, yeah so it really makes sense that that's such a big dimension and like we were saying when we talk about the at least six dimensions of wellness it's that we need to work on all of those simultaneously because that's what's giving really us a state of holistic health and well-being and happiness yeah and as you were saying that it got me thinking about how how important it is because of the the ripple effect it can have when you experience a negative emotion from somebody you know and it affects you in the moment but then it could affect you and how you you know pay that forward in a negative way to somebody else in the day who then does the same and before you know it one person's negative or over the top emotional reaction that starts in the morning can have a ripple effect through you know, literally hundreds of people throughout the day. So two ways is one, don't react in a negative way or think about it on the flip side. If you have a really positive emotional experience in the morning and it could be really simple, just somebody smiles at you in the street as they walk by and you pay that forward and that gets paid forward hundreds of times. Just think how much benefit that can offer to society. And it's so simple. Uh, yeah, I love that you just brought that up, that ripple effect. And I think that's really kind of a little takeaway, maybe in terms of like being conscious about our emotions, is how much is it worth to just get so angry at that person and carrying that anger somewhere else and then letting it out someone else. Because like you were saying, you're A, you're affecting yourself. You're not doing yourself any good with that uh, emotion, that feeling, that negativity. But then you're affecting so many other people. And on the same note with the positive, it's just maybe that consciousness about how necessary it is to think negative and how easy would it be and how beneficial would it be to myself and therefore others and as a huge ripple effect. So, yeah, I like that. I think that's a really good, really good takeaway. Perfect. Well, perfect way to finish. Thank you very much. And thank you. See you next week. I'll see you next week. <laughs>